Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Where are we? We're in my garage in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, ready to ride. And who are you? I'm Phil Sutherland, CEO, Team of Nordis, President, Team Type 1 Foundation. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. So, Phil, I have to say, I'm glad to see that you're not dead yet, <laughs> to refer to the title of your book. Uh, me, me too. <laughs> That was the prognosis, right, when you were just a baby? Yeah, when I was seven months old, you know, at the time I was the youngest ever diagnosed with type 1. There wasn't bl- blood glucose monitoring. There wasn't you know, the modern insulins that they have today. It was just a different time for people with diabetes. And, uh, yeah, right, right side of the road. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> and, uh, Autopilot. Parents found out that if I was moving and active, my numbers were better. And at a time when you know, diabetics were not supposed to compete in sport, were not supposed to be active, because the consequences, they just pushed me out there and said, you know, go do it. And uh, so sport has very much been a part of my life since I was you know, five years old. Yes. And I, I really think it's sport and eventually I was 12 when I picked up cycling avidly, racing, so 25 years ago. It's the reason I'm not dead yet. It's fantastic, but looking back at that time, your parents, like a lot of parents of kids with life-threatening conditions, must have been tempted to just wrap you up in cotton wool and protect you. Initially, yes, but you know, my parents were convinced their kid was going to be dead by 25. And so... Do you want my 25 years to be you know, inside of a house looking at you know, colored walls? You, you know, might as well be in prison. And they said, if I'm only going to have 25 years, might as well get a chance to, to live them. And you very much can live a good life with diabetes. But you know, it does require work, more work than a normal 6-year-old, 10-year-old will take. Uh, but it's, I mean, in today's world, with the tools and technology that are out there, it's not a bad gig. Everyone's got something, right? Yeah. You know, every, everyone has something bad in their family, something to overcome, and you know, we've, we've got one that's manageable, and that makes me happy. When did you first become aware that you were different to the other kids in some way? I first took ownership of managing my diabetes when I was six years old. Yeah, that's when the dream to keep my eyesight came to fruition. Yeah. I mean, I knew I had to do shots you know, and check my blood sugar, all that stuff. But you know, for me, it was always 
it's all I've ever known. I had a gr good group of friends. Their parents were briefed on what I had to deal with. They did a good job you know, making sure, sure the kids just you know, played with me as a kid. So, uh, I don't know, but six, six is when you know, I took control of my diabetes. Let's go back to the, the start of the cycling journey then. So when, when were you really bitten by the bug? 12 years old, 35 cents in the candy machine, I got a Snickers bar, and my glucose went to 300. And it's dangerous to be that high. You know, long-term, increased risk of complications, of renal failure, blindness. And did you know that you weren't meant to eat a Snickers bar? Yeah, of course. But I didn't, I, I had not seen the, the data on what it, what it actually did to me. That was the first time I'd had one. I found that if I rode my bike to the gas station, which was about 5Ks from my house, I'd, I could buy a candy bar, eat it, and then go right around the neighborhood until my legs started to hurt. <laughs> so I just started really just getting on my bike as a kid and exploring all the neighborhoods, trying to go a little bit farther, a little bit farther. You know, I was 12, 13, I did a race with one kid in my neighborhood, mountain bike race. 14 in high school, you know, I was like, I like riding bikes, and a couple other kids said, I like riding bikes, so we'd, we'd meet on Friday and go, you know, get on the bike and go ride a ride for a couple hours. Then it was, well, let's meet on Friday and Saturday, and then meet Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And we got really competitive, started hanging out at the bike shop, you know, and just making the bike kind of you know, our, our thing in life. Yes. And when I was on the bike, I didn't have to check my blood sugar. I didn't have to get insulin. All I had to do was eat. And what did everyone else on the bike rides do? They ate. You know, so for the first time in my entire life, I was 100% normal. The sun's breaking through, Phil. I think it was wise oh, my, to not wear leg yes, warmers today. I, I agree. Eight Celsius on the uh, element bolt here. So let's go back to those teenage years. You're, you're going out, you're riding with your buddies, you're, you're feeling liberated on the bike because you can eat like they do. When did the, I guess, when did the needle start to point towards genuine competitive racing and, and, uh, and the endeavors you went on to achieve? I'd say when I did my first road race, you know, I, I did a 12 hour mountain bike race solo because uh, someone bet me $100 that I couldn't do it. And you know, I, I, what did I do? I did like 20 hours of training, then I did a 24 hour training week, and then I took five days completely off, and then I did the bike race. And that was, you know, science of a 16 year old. Yes. Wear yourself out and then yeah. race. And then you know, you're gonna recover. So I, I ended up getting third place in this 12 hour solo race. Uh-huh. And I got my hundred bucks and someone said, Phil, you know, you're, you should have pretty good form right now. You know, there's a road race next weekend. So this was 98, I was 16 years old. You know, I came to the line in the junior race, sprinting, thought I was gonna win. Uh, my best friend, uh, Daniel Holt, won the race that day. <laughs> and the endurance thing, you really got into it big time. We went to some bigger races, like when I was 20, I got to do the Ross. Oh, in Ireland? Yeah. That was my first 
European race. That is a hard race. <laughs> it was the first time I'd ever raced eight days in a row. You know, I'd never, I didn't know how to titrate my insulin, you know, for that level of competition, uh -huh. day after day after day. And the third stage, I bonked horribly. Oh. I just came to the line completely empty. I, we went to our house, you know, B&B, &B, whatever it was we were saying at the time, and the lady had soup for us. I was like, listen, I could really use some cereal. How about some Weetabix? No, dear, cereal's for breakfast. You can have soup. I was like, look, and I still didn't like to make a big deal about the fact that I'm a diabetic. I just, I was like, look, I really need cereal. I need carbohydrates. Yeah. She didn't give it to me. That night, my glucose went down to 16. I guess Dan, Dan was my roommate. He woke up, saw me seizing in the bed. And I'm flopping all around, uh -huh. probably 30 minutes from death. And you know, he managed to grab one of the race gels, get that in my mouth, got me to where I was aware enough to eat a pear, checked my glucose, it was 16, which is close to death, I think, as I've ever been. I ate as much as I could for breakfast, went out there, and stages, Four, five, six. Yeah, I was just dead the whole time. It was really, really hard. Understandably. To recover from that. But it was finally, like stage seven, I started to get legs again. <laughs> I think just, just finishing the thing is, is remarkable. Yeah, I mean, I was really happy. You know, I finished the 112th place in GC in the Ross. But you almost died. <laughs> almost died. And not even on the road. Yeah. My senior year in college, I met Joe Eldridge. And he became my first friend with diabetes. And he came up to me after I won this collegiate race. Diabetes. Anyhow, Joe came up and said, hey man, I heard you have diabetes. You know, senior race is inspiration to me that maybe one day I can win bike races too. I was like, ah, cool. So we became buddies. He wasn't really taking control. Uh, his racing suffered, his life was suffering. But he was just trying to ignore the fact that he yeah. had diabetes. Which again, it's common because- It's understandable. It's 24 seven, 365, from the moment you're diagnosed till the day you die. It's a, it's a big burden for people to carry. But when you're a teenager, when you're a college student, everyone's having fun and they're yeah. making those friendships and exploring and you can understand why people want to ignore it. Yep. We got to be buddies. We started placing bets for the higher blood sugar paid for dinner. <laughs> and for about three months, Joe paid for every one of my burritos whenever we were together on the weekend. <laughs> he finally got sick of losing, so he, he cheated in the diabetes game, which meant he checked his blood sugar, he gave some insulin, at the right time, and he beat me. So I, had to, I skipped my dinner that night, paid for his, and- uh, He was doping, effectively. Essentially, <laughs> diabetes doping. Doing what you're supposed to do. And, and he said, Phil, you know, you saved my life. Because of you, I'm gonna get to see my grandkids grow up. Yeah. Thank you. And yeah, that was a big turning point in my life. 
because yeah, yeah, I, I saw the impact I had on him. He did take control. You know, it's, his whole life got better. He had a new confidence about him. His cycling got better, his school got better, uh-huh. and just everything. And so I started reaching out to try to find other diabetics locally, just at school, and saw that they were all lacking motivation, reason, empowerment. People need inspiration. There's no heroes in diabetes. You know, there's, there's never been a team to do anything. The bike could be a great, great platform, you know, just like what Lance was doing for the cancer community. I called up Joe and I said, hey man, here's what we're gonna do. You know, we had one semester left in college. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds cool. Team type one. And I was like, yeah, perfect. Uh, so that was the name, and then it was a business plan class project and a management class the next semester. Uh, I got a guy gave me 400 bucks at a coffee shop and said, go start your business. Sweet. Who's he? Daniel Hopkins. I've never been able to find him. No, he just gave you the money. He gave me the money. I was doing surveys. I'm going to right turn here. And he just gave you the money there and then? And he said, what would you do with $400? And, and I said, well, I'd. I'd buy t-shirts and sell those to raise money. And I'd get business cards so I could spread the word about our website. And he took out 400 bucks. And and I said, I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to take money. You know, this is just a survey for school. He said, so he put his Starbucks cup down on top of the four Ben Franklins, our $100 bills, and said, well, kid, you either take this and go start your business or someone else is going to have a great day at the coffee shop. I got a designer to come up with some t-shirts and business cards. So we had a logo and on day one of business, I'd raised $400 and spent 387. <laughs> but that, I mean, so that was that. And then it was a, a JDRF ride to cure in May of that year, I gave a speech about Joe and I, you know, the story, Team Type 1, you know, and we're drinking beers after the ride the next day, and some people said, you guys need to do something big, you know, ride your bikes across America. And I said, man, I, I just graduated college. I'm $65,000 in debt. I can't spend a month riding my bike across America, no. but I thought about race across America. We could do it quick. <laughs> and that was kind of the genesis for that idea. Like about six others contacted me, said they were diabetic and race bikes. And we put the team together. Made a ton of mistakes the first couple days and we're getting our ass kicked in the race. But then about a day and a half in, we figured our glucose is between 140 and 180. So, you know, call it seven and a half to 10 millimoles, yeah. we felt really good. <laughs> it's like, so if we can keep our glucose here, we can go faster. And so we did, and we started making smaller adjustments, got the glucose refined, and then we, start, we made up a couple hours on the team that was ahead of us. And it was a team of professional bike racers. <laughs> they, they'd won Ram three times prior. Uh, and here we were in, from Missouri to the finish line, going back and forth, passing each other. We'd get them on the, on the flats, they'd get us back in the, in the mountains. Tense. There's this battle all the way to the finish line. 
and you know, Ram is there's penalties and whatnot, you know, for crossing yellow lines, this, that, and the other, rolling stop signs. But we got there, and they they told us at the finish line, you know, you won. You know, team type one, you won the race by two minutes. Our closest race across America ever. Two minutes. And so and we're sitting there. Miles? 3,053. It's it's almost too it's too dreamy, right? So we ride nine miles from this artificial finish line outside of Atlantic City to the boardwalk in Atlantic City. You know, thinking we we fucking did it. You know, we won. This is amazing. And then as we're rolling to go to the podium, whoa, stop, stop, stop. Our math was off. Team type one, uh, we're sorry. Uh, Vale, Beaver Creek, you won the race. No. And I was, it was like, yeah, I was in complete and utter disbelief. Yeah, Vale, Beaver Creek actually won by three minutes. Oh. And I, so I went from, you know, arguably the happiest I'd ever been in my life for a sport and achievement to yes. the most devastated I've ever been in my life for a sporting result. But still, but still, I mean, what an amazing achievement. Oh, it was true, it was phenomenal. None of our sponsors actually thought we were gonna be able to finish the race. You know, this had never been done before. And they, they later told me, you know, Phil, we didn't invest anything in PR because we didn't want you to, to die halfway across the country <laughs> and have this horrible story to share. And, you know, it was like we were onto something. So I, we added on more sponsors, you know, doubled the budget from year one to two. Bicycle sponsors, Specialized came on board. The year two at the race, we'd also had the technology for longer run-in uh -huh. to get to know how to use it. And we really had mastered our diabetes control during competition. And so we're 2006, this was, hey, good luck guys. We, we hope you do a good job for charity. Yeah. To 2007. Oh, team type one. They you, were you were marked men at that point. They were scared of the diabetic team. Yeah, you know, and rightfully so. And we, you know, we annihilated the race that second yeah. year. Won by three hours, set the record. Uh, five days, fifteen hours, forty-three minutes. We've been very fortunate to carve out this heads up, right? Oh. Hey! <laughs> I've never seen him before. That was German Shepherd running straight out in front of us down a hill. Yeah. But Matt reacted with cat-like instinct and <laughs> no, no. we're still alive. Not dead yet. Oh good, we're in the backwoods again now. Yes. So that having done having done Ram and having won it the second time of asking, were you then thinking, okay, we want to become a pro team now, we want to get diabetic athletes who actually can cut it with the best in the world? Yes. I'd seen the impact that we were having here stateside. How do we make this bigger? How do we globalize it? And when we won RAM that second year, like the word had spread throughout the entire diabetes community. Uh -huh. How big is the global community? How many people have type one diabetes around the world? Type, type one, they say it's in the 20s, 20 millions. It's about 5% of the diabetics. Yes. There's about 400, it's a moving target, 400 million, 440 million with diabetes globally. But that's including type two. Including type two. And let's be clear here, type one and type two are very different situations. They are very different. 
type one is strictly genetic. Yeah, and then something happens to you which causes an internal trigger to go off. Your body destroys your beta cells, and then you have diabetes. Uh -huh. So it's an autoimmune disease. But Whereas type two, often called late onset. Yeah, there's a combination of genetics and lifestyle. Yeah. What saddens me is that there is a massive divide between type ones and type twos. You know, the type ones say, ah, oh, type twos are all obese, it's their fault. They don't really have diabetes. And so they alienate, you know, what is probably our biggest footprint. Yes. You know, to actually have a active voice in the global health community. And so type twos today are still stigmatized like type ones were stigmatized when we started team type one. Uh -huh. You know, 90% of what you learn and your habits that you have in life have been developed by the time you're eight years old. Yeah. So if the first eight years of your life, exercise was not a focus, junk food was a focus, part was what was on, on the plate in front of you, it's gonna be really damn hard to reverse your normal. I, I think a lot of the type twos are type twos because of how they were raised. Yeah. Right, and the first eight years of their life. So you could almost equate it to a different form of juvenile diabetes. They need to be empowered. Uh -huh. you know, they need to be motivated to get out there, get on the bike, go exercise, take control. You know, the type ones of the world could very much benefit if we were one community strong yeah. versus two different diabetes with two different voices with divergent sets of you know, thought for what's needed. The commonality with both is that if you, if you exercise and you're active, your numbers are gonna be better. Yeah. And that's one thing that hasn't changed in my 37 years of diabetes. <laughs> when you're exercising, diabetes is easier to manage. It's a Novo Nordisk, the sponsors. They are, are they Danish? Danish, yeah. Danish pharmaceutical yeah. company, and they make medicine for diabetics, Correct. which obviously makes sense. What's been the reaction to the, to the pro team? Because the name Novo Nordisk itself doesn't sound like it's a pharma company or yeah. it's not like Team Type 1 where everyone knows what it means. Yeah. We raced professionally as a continental team with Team Type 1 for 2008, 9, 10. Then we were pro continental 2011 and 12. And then we you know, went to the top 25 teams in the world, had a really world tour setup from an infrastructure staffing perspective. And then got the chance to meet, you know, this guy, Jakob Reese at Novo Nordisk, uh, who's no longer with the company, but, you know, really good guy. Yeah. And they had a drug coming out that, we're going to go left turn here, that I knew I needed. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Really strong data on uh, reductions in hypoglycemia, especially overnight. Yeah. And you know, so I went to talk to Jakob about this, and I said, "It's you know, I, I want to get this as soon as it comes out. You know, it's I think will be a game changer for people with diabetes. And if you've got the best products, and you as a company have brought those best products to market, I want to be the one that helps the diabetes community." get a visibility to that yeah because i'm alive today because of all the innovations and device and technology and drugs and so we we had a good you know hour lunch saw each other a few days later at the 5k and i left this hour lunch convinced that we were going to have a sponsorship sure enough Jakob took it to their ceo and came back to me a few days later saying phil we'd be delighted to partner with you but there's one catch is that we at Nova Nordisk are a diabetes company and we don't see sponsoring a mixed team as a mesh with our DNA. So if you'd be willing to go back to your roots of Race Across America days and do an all type one professional team, then we will do the sponsorship. I had four diabetics racing professionally at the time. And you needed how many? 16. Okay. But also difficult to cut those non-diabetics at that time, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we knew with enough time and we worked really hard to give adequate notice and help everyone who still wanted a race to get a job. Yes. And they did. And anyone who you know, did, could not get a job, we ensured that we could sal cover their salaries if they had a multi-year contract. So we, we didn't leave anyone up high and dry. Oh, that's a decent that thing was, to do. That was the, was the only thing to do. Yeah, yeah. It's too small of a world to screw people. But before I answered yes to Jakob, because we really didn't know if we could do it or not, I did what you have to do. I went out on my bike. Two hours by myself. Should we or shouldn't we? Because we could have continued on as a Pro Continental team with our current sponsor, yeah, mixed. Should we or shouldn't we? I say, you know what? Let's just roll the dice and do it. So I, was on the, I went on that bike ride to clear up the decision process. We did it. 
got the team going. And like, you know, Andrea Perone, who's been with us for, you know, this is his seventh season with the team now. Yeah. Yeah, he had a offer for a pro conning team. And they found out he had diabetes. They tore his contract up. Kidding. Yeah, you know, like Stephen Clancy of Ireland, when he was diagnosed in 2012. Yes. You know, he was Ireland's you know, best up-and-coming young cyclist. Yeah. Uh, so he didn't even know. And his doctor told him, you'll never race a bike again. Uh -huh. There was no respect for our team in the peloton. Uh, we didn't deserve to be here. We only got contracts because we were diabetics. Yeah, the team was a joke. It went on and on and on. And there was really that, was- It was being said in the peloton, was it? Was there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of the, the tour of Turkey in 2013, our first HC race, stage race. Yeah. And all eight of our guys finished. And that was a really big moment for the team. And I'll remember Thomas Raymakers, he's now director for my junior team. Uh -huh. Belgian kid, you know, just, you know, he was on the junior world team at Belgium. And he, when he was diagnosed in 2011, his, you know, his doctor said, your racing career is finished. You know, here he was, a 17-year-old kid. All he knew was bike racing. Yeah. All he ever wanted to be was bike racing. And he was on the hospital bed, having just been told his dream is done. And we won the Tour of Turkey that year. And Thomas said, he's like, that was the moment for him where he knew that that, doc that doctor was full of shit. So stage three of T Tour of Turkey 2013, Thomas is, has been in the cars a lot. Yeah. Yeah. He's 19 years old. This race is over his head. He said, Thomas, if you come back to the car one more time, we're just going to pull you. Uh -huh. Don't worry about it. You're young. It's part of the development. Boom. <laughs> Off he is. And the only time we saw Thomas the rest of the race was when he came back to get bottles for his teammates. Wow. At the end, I said, we're at the after party bar having a beer. And he told me the story of being diagnosed and why he, I said, how did you finish the race? He goes, Bill, for me, the tour of Turkey was the reason I, I pursued cycling again. And he said, this race for me, way more important than the tour of Flanders. Yeah. Than Paris-Roubaix than any other race in the world. This to me is the race that changed my life. There was no way in hell I was getting dropped from this race. I was like, so here I am at the after party crying, you know. So and, many stories, Phil, it's unbelievable. And just getting to see the guys develop. I mean, after that race, you know, slowly and slowly, we began to get some results. Like Andrea Perone was able to get some top tens some Spanish races after that. We were getting in the top 20s in the sprints and Tour of Turkey. And we were starting to become a team who wasn't just there to take up space. Yeah. yeah you earned the respect in the peloton. It took time, but we did. The Tour of California is the biggest race you've been in, fair to say. It's the World uh, Tour race now. I mean, we've done Poland, you know, San Remo, we did Adriatico yes. a couple years ago. And we were in the break, I think 
three of the five road stages in Adriatico uh, you know, and finished five of our eight guys, which, you know, if, and that was in, I think 2016 we did that. Yeah. But the ambition is what? To become a World Tour team, to race in the Grand Tours? Yeah, we have to, excuse me. You've got a mouthful of Snickers now. <laughs> we've, we've got to prepare a deep enough pipeline to where we can go to Grand Tour with the belief that we can finish with all our riders yes. and we can play a role in the race. We've had offers to go to Grand Tours, but we'd, we've not been ready. No. And that must have been hard to say no then. You know, the cycling world knows about us a little bit. They have no idea the complexity of what it takes to run our team, complexity that my riders have to go through yes. to be as consistent and successful at their jobs that they are. And that's fine. I mean, it's people live with diabetics for years and they never understand the thousand different math equations uh -huh. that go on in our heads every moment of every day. So I don't expect you know, tremendous respect and understanding. You know, but I know that if we go to Grand Tour and fail, then that's the world will see and it will give them all a chance to doubt and it will do a disservice to people with diabetes around the world. So we're not gonna go until we know that we can go there and put on the show that people with diabetes around the world deserve to see in their champions. But and you I, will go. But we will go. And so now I think, you know, Grand Tour in the next couple of years, I believe we can do that. And then someday maybe, you know, I've got guys on the team who are dreaming of the yellow jersey. You know, diabetic riders who don't just want to do it because it's the cool thing to dream about as a bike racer, but they want to, they're willing to work, make the sacrifices needed to get there, and they believe, and they have damn good numbers. Yes. Uh, numbers, watts and power to weight ratio, you know, when you're on the bike, it's the road that matters. None of those numbers matter, but it's good to have some data to say, if things are going right and you're not an idiot, then you might be able to pull this off. We got kids dreaming of yellow jerseys now. And I want to see their dreams come true because I know just the cascading effect that'll have on the hundreds of millions of people who suffer from diabetes. Because you don't, you don't have to suffer from diabetes. And if you're empowered, educated, inspired, the mission of the team, then you don't suffer. Then you live, you thrive with diabetes. I want to pick up on a couple of things you said there, just to finish off for now. You said if you're not an idiot, you'll pull it off and you'll also become the best of yourself. Yeah. And I think, Phil, that really sums you up. Clearly, you're not an idiot. You're very focused, very inspirational. And that's what we're all trying to be, isn't it? The best of ourselves. Yeah. And that's what I find the most inspiring talking to people like you. It's not necessarily about being at the pinnacle of achievement. It's the gap between where you are and where you were. So good to talk to you. Oh, thank you, man. 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.